0: Hi everyone. Josh Reynolds here from Christian Student Fellowship. Have a, an encounter sermon from Acts chapter two. Uh, I got to team teach with a junior and a senior named Rudy and Logan, and we taught Pentecost. Uh, so Acts chapter two, verses one through forty-one. Uh, if you'd like to see that live or hear their voices, two different ways you can do that on the csf indiana facebook page you can see the live stream Uh, these two young men opened up my sermon with me and they did a great job talking about not only their experience in jerusalem and the path of standing at the at the wall and going to the sea of galilee but they also uh, did a great job of storytelling why acts chapter 2 Uh, was so powerful in the representation of um, God showing up, His Spirit showing up on earth in tangible ways. And so they really did a great job. They taught through the tabernacle, and then they connected it to the temple. And then from the temple, they connected it to uh, Jesus' crucifixion. They connected to the veil being torn. And so it was very easy for you all to remember because it was the tab, the temple, torn veil uh, and they were all teas, and now the day of pentecost was here this is uh, chapter 2 verse 1. they were all together in one place suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting what they saw seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Evidence of this same Spirit uh, we've seen before. We've seen it on Jesus. Uh, Specifically, the same power, the same Spirit that Jesus had in his life on earth was now physically made known to the disciples to equip them for their mission in the world Uh, jesus had said stay for the gift that my father has promised you stay for uh, john uh, the baptist from a couple weeks ago said one who is coming who will baptize you with the holy spirit and this is an incredibly fundamental beauty of pentecost What we love is that there's no distinction between the apostles or the disciples, men or women. Uh, We know that because there's 120 people that are gathering over the past 10 days, waiting on the spirit to come. Even Jesus's family members are present in this and they have visible and verbal confirmation of their inclusion. This was God uniting his people. And Peter now is supposed to uh, tangibly tell the story because they're going to move, because the spirit and the disciples and the apostles, they're going to move from the upper room into verse five, into the temple. Listen to this. Now there there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these all, all who speaking, Galileans? How is it then that each of us hears them in our own language? (laughs) This is Peter getting ready to answer the question And he is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he is going to deliver the first quote-unquote sermon of the church because the entire community is vividly aware of an immediate overpowering presence. And it's known, again, visibly, the tongues of fire, and verbally through the languages. One of the things that, that Luke wants us to catch is it's an international crowd collected, and they're experiencing the power of something. And That was really important because what I guarantee God wanted them to do was to have an experience, a story to take home with them. The people who were gathered were God-fearing, so we know they were devout. Um, they came for Pentecost, which was uh, one of the things that God told his true people to do, to gather uh, multiple times. I think you can read it in Deuteronomy 16 for yourself. What we know is this Parth- Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia residents, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, uh, Egypt, parts of Libya, Cyrene, visitors from Rome, converts to Judaism and Jews, Cretans and Arabs? They said, We hear the, the declaration of the wonder of God in our own tongue. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? So the thing that that digging into these different countries and these different people groups, the, there's some really cool things that popped out to me. Uh, one was that the first uh, one, two, three, four, from Parth- Parthians all the way over to residents of Mesopotamia. This was the, the place that the people of Israel had and Judah the people of Israel and Judah have been exiled to so this is the remnants of the assyrian and babylonian empire which is which is really wild to me and then if you track all the way down there's different it's kind of working around the globe the ends of the earth as were understood at that time and the one that i thought was really really cool was the very ending It was Cretans, which was the island in the Mediterranean Sea, the island of Crete. But then it was, and Arabs. Now this is the part I geeked out on a little bit because uh, the Arab people, they traced themselves back to Esau. So Father Abraham had many sons, but as you move through his path, one of his sons was Jacob. And that's actually where the 12 tribes of Israel sprung from. But whenever Esau moved out into his own, there was a promise from God to make him a great nation as well, and that is the Arab nation. And so what I really found fascinating was that there are God-fearing, Jewish, uh, devout people who are coming from the places uh, that are the most distant, and they're even predating the twelve tribes of Israel—they're coming all the way back to Father Abraham, and so this is this is what my one of my favorite uh, commentators, Michael Heiser, said. He said that what Luke wants us to catch is that um, the promise of God is that He will bring His people back to Him, and and so what we're doing is we're finding that there are remnant people of God from Abraham's seed that are entirely covering the world. So what I did was I then turned and and looked at our college crowd and I just said to them, if these are the Jewish people of the first century in the entire known world, could you put yourself in the temple on that day? Could you be a devout person? Could you think about having traveled for quite a distance and are now hearing about Jesus and this crazy idea of resurrection and the thing that like within we we laughed about because here at iu we know that uh one of the common jokes is little little five week little 500 um what verse 13 in acts 2 is a totally a little five joke it says some however made fun of these people speaking in tongues in the different languages and they said they've had too much wine that's hilarious because the galileans were known had a reputation for being uncultured. <laughs> I called them the rednecks of Judea, and we had a lot of fun on that. But even Jesus Himself has has had this experience. It's John one, whenever, um, whenever I think Philip is trying to get Nathaniel to come h- see Jesus in early in His ministry, and it's it's Nathanael that says, "Can anything good come from Nazareth?" Which is the city in, in the Galilee, which was kind of cool. So the question is, how can these rednecks be multilingual? <laughs> right? Well, we know it's the spirit, um, and they're speaking in tongues, but I took that moment to really teach on tongues a little bit. You guys know, having listened, tongues have the ability to divide churches. Like here in the Western church especially, tongues have the ability to cause rift in between people because it's so mysterious. And so what I what I wanted to do for them and what I wanna do for us is we we'll would definitely wanna divide out kind of two understandings of tongues that happens. And I wanna take it from Luke the historian's point of view and I wanna take it from Paul the teacher's, Paul the preacher's point of view. So Luke uses a term um, three different times in the book of Acts to mean tongues, it's in 2, Acts 10 and Acts 19. And every time Luke uses his particular term about tongues, which is glossolia, he is speaking about speaking in a foreign language. Every time Luke talks about tongues, he is speaking about speaking in foreign languages. Now Paul speaks about tongues and teaches on them in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 differently. So in Acts, um, there's a difference in direction. In Acts, there's a public declaration of God's wonders. Public declaration of God's wonders. Uh, And this is verse 11. I mean, I'm just word for word. This is not rocket science from my point of view. We hear them declaring the wonder of God in our own tongue. Now, in 1 Corinthians, the tongue speaker, we hear Paul say, does not speak to men, but God. And so there's a difference in tongues. Even though it's the same word, tongues, uh, we understand it to mean two different things. The second idea is this. Not only are they different in direction, they're different in character. The tongues in Acts were understood by groups of listeners and what we see in 1 Corinthians is that tongues need an interpreter. Tongues need an interpreter if they're to be understood and to be useful within the body. And so tongues were not the confusion of language here in Acts 2, but it is the unity of message. Maybe this is a topic uh, that you'd want to connect on. Maybe you've got a different experience on that. I'd be happy to to take some time, buy some coffee, or at least have a, a phone call. Uh, so you can shoot me an email if you want. It's josh at csfindiana.org. Uh, so if you've got a question on that, or maybe when you hear the, the story of... Um, the story of Pentecost, maybe you are connecting immediately uh, the story of Babel in Genesis 11. Maybe you see tongues uh, and, and is the unity of the message even though languages are confusing and that being the exact opposite of what happened at the Tower of Babel where languages were meant to confuse and, and push people away from the pride of thinking they could move towards heaven. What we see in Pentecost is God's Spirit coming. Or maybe you uh, see um, Mount Sinai. Maybe maybe Mount Sinai and the idea of this unifying fire, uh, this unifying tongue, uh, which in Hebrew translates thunder, which the people would have heard on the mountain, which was God meeting with people. That was the tongues that showed up in that space. Maybe you want to connect. Uh, I'd be thrilled to, josh at csfindiana.org, and um, it's a really easy way to connect with me. What I then did on Thursday night, uh, what I want to do here with you is take some space and really look at what Peter does uh, with his very first sermon. He is going to clarify the first of 19 sermons in the book of Acts, and eight of them are Peter's. What I really like is to think about how he preaches. As a preacher, uh, I think the philosophy behind preaching is incredibly important. And again, if you want to connect on that, I'd be happy to. But basically what we see happen here is we see Peter uh, interpret an Old Testament passage in the light of its being fulfilled. Uh, This is called a pesher. Uh, style of interpreting. It's, a, it's a, taking an Old Testament passage and interpreting it in light of fulfillment. Uh, and so here's how Peter's going to do this. He's going to always tell these kind of main tenets through his sermons. He's going to talk about uh, God looking for people to partner with his story He's going to anticipate the central figure of God's story, which is going to be the Messiah. We've heard that a lot. And then we're going to look at the fulfilled hope of this story. And here's the cool thing if it's a fulfilled prophecy. There's typically a plot twist that's going to show up, and that totally happened here in the book of Acts, this sermon. Uh, Peter's going to interpret Joel chapter two and then he's going to interpret Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. Uh, and the way that he's going to do that is pretty cool. He's going to deliberately change some of one or two of Joel's words afterwards. Uh, and he's going to change that to in the last day because what he's trying to do is saying that the spirit has come. How does he know that? Well, because his tongue is on fire or a representation of that. Um, And so here's what it sounds like in the last days god says this is joel talking um, but it's peter quoting i will pour out my spirit on all people your sons and daughters will prophesy your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams even on my sermon servants both men and women i will pour out my spirit in those days Super cool because the Spirit has been poured out. We've watched that happen right up there in Acts chapter 2. But what I think uh, Peter wants to make sure in the story of God partnering with his people is Peter is stressing the universality of this. He says, All people, regardless of your outward status, there is no spiritual condition. When I read Joel in this way, for receiving the spirit. Let me say that again. There's no uh, spiritual conditions for receiving, uh, I'm sorry, sorry, I said it wrong. There's no social distinctions, (laughs) but there are spiritual conditions. So I got that one right on the second time. Regardless of your outward status, there's spiritual conditions for receiving the Spirit. We know that there's devout people here in attendance. But there's no social distinctions. And so it's sons and daughters. It's men and women. There's no age uh, condition. You're young men, you're old men. And there's no rank problem in receiving the Spirit. Even on my servants, both men and women. Verse 18 is 17 and 18 are so clear here in Acts. The universality of the Spirit of God is for all people. And then, 21, Joel closes with this. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by God by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourself know. So here we're moving into the second part of the sermon, which is there's a there's a redemptive central figure in God's story. He is looking first to partner with his people, and what we saw is there's no distinction. And now he is saying to this, this is for all people, and there's a central Figure. The thing that you guys have to catch, and I don't as a Western reader until I go dig in and see the story uh, at a deeper level, is I need to understand that Jesus was accredited by God through supernatural works. And the way Peter says that is miracles, wonders, and signs. Miracles represent the power of God. Things that only God can do is miraculous. Wonders. Uh, that This means exactly what it says wonders are 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 moments to arouse your astonishment and then signs and signs are are significant spiritual truths and what we see peter do in his sermon is he said jesus fulfills all three of these miracles wonders and signs and he looks at the people and says this has happened god did among you Not necessarily mean these exact people, but humanity through him, through Jesus. And then 23 comes, Uh, this man was handed over to you. Again, not these unique people, but humanity, and specifically then the people in Jerusalem. Handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. This is an incredible deal because the the miracles, signs and wonders can all be truisms, but there's gotta be the plot twist. There has to be the redemptive place that shows up in Peter's story, and that is chapter two, verse 24. But God raised Jesus from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him, plot twist, and here's the the coolest part: we are on the back end of 50 days, and over the last 40 days, uh, Acts chapter one tells us that Jesus has been giving many convincing proofs that although he was dead, he is now alive. Paul is going to tell us later on in his in his letters that Jesus showed himself to over 500 of the brothers and sisters. And so here is the plot twist that shows up. Let me jump all the way down uh, to 36, 37, uh, 38 here. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, so there's that act two, both Lord and Messiah. So this is Peter being over about the role that Jesus was to play. And verse 37 was the title of my sermon. It's called Cut to the Heart. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Brothers, what shall we do? This is the part where I stopped stopped the sermon and just implored our students. Let me ask you as a listener, to learn the narrative see the story that all of scripture bears witness to god it bears witness to his people and his work in the world and it calls us to become his people and do his work in the world the story in act two so if that's act one here's act two jesus life death and resurrection starts And puts into motion a worldwide mission which has implications for you and i today jesus himself said this would be true before his death and after his resurrection and acts chapter 2 primarily is about the unification of that message with the new plot twist you don't have to go to the holy of holies in the tabernacle or the temple because the veil was torn Now the power of God's spirit resides in us and in the church. So this is the part where we stop the sermon again and we ask the question, as you're hearing this story in your own language, what type of response is needed? Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, all these people who had been telling this story in their own languages, what shall we do this is the place where uh it became personal for you and i we need to we need to understand for ourselves what it feels like to be convicted of sin cut to the heart and what we love is what peter tells us to do repent and be baptized repent repent means to make a decisive decision about the desire of our heart We need to make a decisive decision so that's our mind about the desire of our heart and then we get to move from there with our actions so that's kind of cool because the hebrew term for repentance means a change of action the greek term for repentance means a change of mind so it's both your mind and your life but it's the willingness to decisively decide to change This doesn't mean that you're not going to sin, but it means that the focus of your life and the priority of who you are is in a desire to please God. So repent is a decisive decision about this story of God, his hope in the person of Jesus with the plot twist that life, death, resurrection, and now mission Freeze you and I to move in the world. And here's the great news. True repentance, this decisive desire, that's God's will for humanity. That's God's will for me to become a new character in his story and to have a 180 degree change in my life. What Peter does is said, repent. So make a decisive decision, but then go be baptized. Uh, baptism is a one-time moment again we taught on this a couple weeks ago we said baptism is the outward expression of my inward heart and basically you're telling the world uh, that you can watch me i am choosing which side uh, i'm now living for which kingdom i am moving into as a son or a daughter and you can watch my life and hold me accountable peter says um in that I'm sorry Luke says in that day about 3000 were added to their number but that 3000 comes after verse 40 verse 40 says with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them this is an incredible idea and it's a promise and an offer to you and I our responsibility is to know God and to emulate Jesus pursuing him with authentic faith and we will receive this is the promise the gift of the holy spirit verse 39 says the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off for all whom the lord our god will call man that is a place of hope see the gospel is good news not only of what jesus did life death resurrection burial according to this story of god but also what he offers. Jesus promises to those who respond, both forgiveness of sin, to wipe out your past, and the gift of the Spirit, to put God's Spirit into you, to become a new people. And Peter says, we are witnesses. This is a phrase that Peter is gonna say again, and again, and again. that we are a witness to this new character, this new life, this new power of the Holy Spirit in us. So here's my uh, my big closing. If this message uh, had to get locked up with an application, I want you just to know that the Holy Spirit is available as a free gift because of what Jesus has done here on our earth. And now the new character and the new life Uh, is available to you, who hear the story, who make a decisive decision about the desire of our heart to repent, to be baptized. Mm. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. So uh, praying for you guys, if there's any way that we can uh, connect with you, uh, give you resources, or um, yeah, in any way, have us, uh, we can take the teaching load off of you, or you want to come uh, share some ministry time with us, you'd be invited to come to encounter and sit in with the passion that we see every week. So again, Josh Reynolds, josh at Um, csfindiana.org. I hope you have a great week.